Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Book marketing mentor Judy Baker helps business authors get more bang for their book, turning intellectual property into multiple streams of income with minimal effort. After conquering ovarian cancer in 2014, she became an author advocate and self-publishing evangelist. She plans to publish her memoir and guidebook sometime this year. Judy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Well, thank you for inviting me. I I, am, I just feel really strongly that, you know, I want to show that there is life after cancer. <laughs> yeah. So 2014, take us back. You know, how did you even know? Did you have symptoms? Tell us what was going on. Well, the crazy thing was the day that I felt the worst before I knew I was really sick, we were celebrating one of my friends who had had... Um, she had been treated for hepatitis that she had contracted like 40 years before it never had shown up as anything. And so we, we went out to lunch and I couldn't eat it. I could take like a bite. And that was sort of when things were getting a little weird. And that was in, actually it was in November uh, of that, the previous year, 2013. And over the next month, this kept getting worse. And I didn't think a whole lot about it because I was overweight. I had gone through menopause and I just thought it was all of that stuff going on. But by Thanksgiving really was doing poorly. And I remember we went out to, um, we went out to Thanksgiving. uh, It was a Friendsgiving and yeah, I would take a bite and that was, I'm done. Were you nauseous? Like, what was that feeling? Uh -uh. No, it was, it was this fullness that there was no room. Mm. And from there, middle of December, it was like I had the alien trying to get out it. I was having these really sharp, awful pains, but I was uninsured and I was trying to wait for January one when Obamacare was going to go in. And I, and I thought, oh, pancreatitis, gallbladder, that runs in my family. I'd never even heard of ovarian cancer. So I was trying to tough it out. But by I got I went to see my I oh, I went called my doctor. And he was on vacation. So I saw another person in the practice. And um, she kept saying, Oh, you need to go to the to have a colonoscopy. And I'm going, what? Now, this, this really puzzled me because number one, I'd been going to the same doctor for a long time. They had my medical history and in my family, my father, we know he was BRCA because I turned out to be after the fact, but he had breast cancer, prostate cancer, colon cancer, and he died of pancreatic cancer. Oh, you know the whole grouping. So I, 
I said, oh, no, no, I don't have, I don't need a colonoscopy. Something else is going on. And she didn't want to deal with me. I wound up coming back again another time. And by this time, I am just, tears are streaming and I'm yelling at her. And I'm going, that is not the issue. And she had her face buried in her computer and I was pissed. I wound up going to the emergency room. I think it was like the 28th of December and the doctor on call. Oh, it was so weird. It was like, I don't know. Right after Christmas. Right after. Oh yes. Well, there's a joke in my survivor group. If you're going to get sick, it's going to be on a major holiday and (laughs) yeah, all bets are off. So I, I go in and they had just remodeled the, uh, the emergency uh, room area. And so there were not, there weren't, walls everywhere. So I get taken in and it's freezing cold. It's a Saturday. It is like horrible outside. And my husband was booked all day long. So he took me and then it looked like I was going to be there for who knows how long because we didn't, we still didn't know what was wrong. And I got put in this room and then I said, let's call a friend and you go, you go do your interview thing. Cause still, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm, you know, as sick as I am. Okay. And there's a crazy person in the room in the, in, in the screened area, you know, the, yeah. The curtain, yeah. The yeah. Just a curtain. Yeah. You're just separated by the curtain. Yeah. Yeah. So Looney Tunes is in the, is in the <laughs> next. Oh no, this was a frequent flyer. This is someone who oh. ingests. What are they? I don't know what they call it when people eat things that are. Oh, oh, starts with a P, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Pica. It's Pica. Yes. Except Pica. this is somebody who does razor blades and other stuff. So, so he's, he's next to me. So I'm listening to this. I'm freezing. They keep bringing me blankets. Nothing's working. The first, so the doctor finally, I think the doctor finally came in to see me and so then, you know, I'm with nurses and, and stuff and the doctor finally comes and he slaps a 45 milligram fentanyl patch on me. I don't do any, I mean, I barely take aspirin. So he does this. They, I re, sort of vaguely remember at some point they took me to do the, the MRI. I really, I was you so out of it. it. Yeah. I was like <laughs> really out of it, but the pain didn't stop, but I was out of it. And he knew that I had cancer and he came in and, and told me that, but he also knew I had ascites, which is when your whole cavity fills up with fluid, but he didn't do anything about it because they normally have to have a radiologist there. And there was not one on call that day. So he sends us home. I was there from, I think, eight 30 in the morning till about 3.30, 4.30 in the afternoon. So he he came in and he said, we know you have cancer. We just don't know what kind. But he, he actually probably did have a good idea of what I had. So that that was the first day. And I don't sleep again. I hadn't slept the night before. Didn't sleep again this night because I'm still like horribly, you know, everything hurts. And so I wound up going back the next day. And luckily the doctor who was on call that day was an, a gynecological oncologist. And there aren't oh. a lot of those out there. Yeah, they're not. 
no, not a, not not a specialty that a lot of people want to go into. But anyway, so he knew exactly what was cooking, and he drained the fluid. And I think I had five and a half liters inside here, which is why I couldn't eat. Yeah. And so he explained it and he almost gave up because he's having a really hard time because and the reason they need a radiologist is so they can position the needle to let it be in the exactly right place. But he persisted, got that out. It was the first time I could breathe in nearly a month. Oh, and goodness. so I felt a lot better, but okay. You see the color of the curtains behind me? I, do. I was about, I was about that shade. She, she's gray for people listening. She was gray. So that was, that was the first part of it. And my regular physician, um, got all the information. I saw him the next, I guess it was a, the next Friday, uh, when he got back. And so he, this is your primary care physician. And he, got me set up with my oncologist and with the surgeon that I was going to work with. And that was amazing. But I'll tell you, I have never had, I was never sick. So, you know, this was like weird. At what point did they tell you it was cancer? I'm a little bit confused. Oh, When did they actually tell you? Well, in the ER, the doctor said, we know you have cancer because the marker in my blood work showed that I had. Oh, cancer. that's right. But he didn't know what type. He so didn't what did know. you know what type? What happened? I knew after they after they ran the, the the more complete testing, then it showed what was going on. They saw that I had ovarian cancer. Um, the, re, the results from the MRI gave them more information. And when we knew that's what I had, then we could proceed. So before I hit record, yes. you told us about your dad. And yes. I think a misconception about the BRCA gene is that it only happens in women and it's only breast cancer and ovarian cancer. So no. if you don't mind, I would love for you to share about your dad. Oh, this was the, this happened. I was 13 when my father was diagnosed with breast cancer. And he didn't get an, he didn't get treatment right away because breast cancer in men, this is in this, this is in late sixties. Nobody had ever said anything about it. Yeah. And it's a very small number when you look at the overall population and people who get cancer. But my father had breast cancer. He had a lump and he ignored it. And he finally went to the doctor Um and this is before they had identified the BRCA gene, long before that. But they already knew, doctors did know that there were hereditary markers of some kind for cancer. Right. So he went in. Um, at that point, they were treating most breast cancer with radical mastectomies. And now they know that that's not necessarily, that usually isn't what's needed. So they took out they removed the breast. They took out lymph nodes in his arm because it had already, it had already metastasized. Uh, he never completely regained the use of his arm. They used to take out so much tissue that you were so damaged. It was oh, ridiculous. Yeah. 
I was always in fear that that was, you know, going to happen to me. And because it had metastasized and he had decided at that point, he was not going to do chemo because the chemo was really barbaric back then. Yeah. Just, they barely knew what they were doing. That was like, that was the early, early years of chemo. Absolutely. So he said no to that. And so he had that surgery. Then it was, I think about four years later, then he, he developed um, colon cancer. And nowadays, you know, we have really good screening, but not so much then. So he had that he he was diabetic. So he did have regular medical attention. But all of his just like me, his cancers mimicked other things. Um, If you're diabetic, pancreatic cancer, same symptoms you know, with the colon cancer, all of this stuff. And so he had, he had surgery for colon cancer, then prostate, which was, a you know, that happens in his age range that would have happened in probably anyway. And then ultimately um, he developed pancreatic cancer. And this is the weird thing about cancers that are in your abdominal cavity. Everything think about this, all of your organs are floating. Mm -hmm. They're just floating around. And if something happens that causes them to bump into something, that's usually too late to deal with it. And that was kind of what was going on for both of us. And so uh, he was diagnosed with the pancreatic cancer and he lived about another year. So we had time to, you know, deal with that and, and, and to say goodbye, but my father was really healthy. I was super healthy. Nothing else was going on. I mean, he was diabetic, but nothing else. I didn't go, oh, here's a red light. Menopause symptoms and and ovarian cancer symptoms are almost identical. The only thing I didn't have was incontinence, Hmm. but I had bloating, fatigue, sleeplessness. I was really irritable. And then of course the ascites. So I had this fluid in my, in my gut and I couldn't, I couldn't breathe because it was pressing on my diaphragm. Yeah. So it was, you know, pretty nasty, but you know, I always had this hanging over my head thinking, oh yeah, I'm probably going to develop breast cancer because I didn't know about anything else. Right. Yeah. How old were you when your dad died? Uh, it was right before my 21st birthday. Oh God. So these cancers were back to back to back. Yeah. He Practically. Just... Oh my gosh. Yeah. Let's but go no, back to you yeah. and yes. your treatment options. Okay. So what, uh, what was recommended and what did you choose to do? Well, with peritoneal cancer, which is the lining of your abdominal cavity. They can't take that out. That lets everything transfer through your your uh, bloodstream. So I had all of these little polka dots of cancer cells. And initially they thought they were going to do surgery first, but then when they discovered it was peritoneal, they don't do that. What I was given as my options um, 
to go through chemo first, then see if there was a reduction in the cancer. Um, Did you have any significant tumors on your ovaries? Oh, no, 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 nothing. No, no, this was all, there was nothing on my ovaries. It was all in the lining of my peritoneum. Okay, well, just your bio said ovarian cancer survivors. So yeah. I was trying to be get, oh. make sure I was clear. So they did, they did three rounds of chemo and I opted for what was called a, a dense program where I was doing it every week. The first half of my treatment was done at a hospital infusion center where there's a lot of people. And so say there were 20 people having infusion at the same time, there would be like three nurses. And it took a really long time. Fortunately, then my cancer, my oncologist uh, subscribed to my insurance. So after I had surgery, then I could go to their infusion center, which was like cool because I, I probably had three people dealing with just me and, <laughs> and it was just really pleasant and nice. And it was like, you know, lickety took way less time, much better experience. So it does depend on, on where you go, how you're being treated. Everyone was really good. And I had, I had good care, but being in a hospital and being in a small, very cozy environment. Yeah, I'll opt for the cozy any any time. How long did you have to do the chemotherapy? Um, the chemo started in January, right before my birthday. And I was done uh, July, I think it was July 8th. Wow. So I had Half of the, the treatment was before I had surgery. So the surgery was in, in April where they did the complete hysterectomy. Oh, yeah, something I wish I would have known. If you can physically work out while you're doing chemo, mm -hmm. you recover much faster. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, you get the fluids moving through your body. It's so important. Oh, absolutely. So I was walking. I walked because, you know, that's what they tell you to do after hysterectomy. So I, I was walking probably an hour a day till I could get back to the gym. And then I did the next three rounds. I was, I asked if I still needed to do the chemo because I, my numbers were down. Yeah. I was feeling good. My eyelashes were starting to come back. <laughs> yeah. And what my oncologist said to me, and I really do appreciate this. She said, we don't want to see you in here again as sick as you were. Yeah. So your best bet is to have the rest of the chemo if you can tolerate it. Now, by that time, I, I was starting to develop neuropathy in my hands and in my feet. But again, I thought, oh, that'll go away when I stop chemo. Well, guess what? I was one of the ones that it didn't stop. So I still have diminished feeling, um, kind of the fine feeling in my hands and feet. But you know what? I'd rather be there than be sick. And I haven't had a recurrence. About uh, three years after I had completed treatment, I got really depressed. And so I had a delayed reaction, which was post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, totally. 
And it didn't last very long because once I knew what was going on, I went, oh, that was fine. My whole way of dealing with this was, okay, here's what's happening. I tried to be really organized. That lasted about two minutes because (laughs) (laughs) as soon as the chemo kicked in, I couldn't, I couldn't do linear thinking. So I just gave myself the grace to do what I could and not to worry about it. But I told everybody I was sick and I said, you're going to see the changes. I'm going to lose my hair, but I'm going to be here and I'm fine. And so I just, I kept doing the good things in my life and I eliminated some of the people who were negative and I just wouldn't hang out with them. I just made sure I was around positive, happy people and that I watched funny stuff and listened to good stuff. And I just said, okay, I don't need that other crap, which has served me well now because I just turn it off. I just don't, I just don't go there. But yeah, you have to tell people you have to, it, it is really helpful to say, here's what I need. Here's how you can support me. And here is where I, you know, time out, draw the line, standing up for myself. I don't know where I got that. I don't know where that came from, but I, I, I was so strong in that one thing. And I was strong. I was that way with doctors. If someone, cause there was one doctor in the, in the oncology practice I said, I don't ever want to see him again. I know he, I know he's supposed to be the best and he's gotten all these awards, but his bedside manner sucks. Yeah. It, you know, and, Good for you. and any people other, you know, you know, whether they were friends, um, caregivers, doesn't matter what. One didn't listen to me when I said, I need to take a break or this is how much time I have, or this is what I need from you. This is not what I need from you. Then they were gone. And that was why my survivor group was really helpful. There were a couple of us who were in active treatment at the time and several, you know, other people who'd been through it and, and were farther out. Um, I found that over time, there were some people in, in my group, in my survivor group that I could really embrace and they're later down the road, not so much. Um, It is hard. It is hard to say um, I need to take a break from you right now. And we do it in romantic relationships, right? All the time. Yep. And yet friendships, which are often deeper and last longer, there's no sort of, playbook for how to break up with a friend. <laughs> no, no, there, there isn't. Well, this, I had such an outpouring of support in my community. I volunteer for a lot of different things and I have my, my whole life is just kind of in, in that, that's the other thing in my DNA. So yeah, I have cancer in my DNA and I also have this volunteerism. Um, I got support from the different organizations I'd, I'd volunteered for, uh, you know, people did, did fundraising for me. And I found that my, one of my safest places to go, because like I said, I worked out the whole time I was uh, in chemo, was the gym. 
So Judy, what is one thing that you wish you had known at the very beginning? Before that Thanksgiving. Before that Thanksgiving. Oh, at that point, even though I had been getting regular acupressure care, I always had that. That was always in my wheelhouse. Um, I wish I would have been kinder to myself and taken, taken into account that if something doesn't feel right, just check it out. Yeah. Um, I was in denial. I, you know, I really was really in denial and I said, Oh, I can't eat. This will be great. I'll lose weight. <laughs> yeah. No, what happened? I actually gained weight because I kept gaining more fluid, but yeah, I wish I would have said I deserve to feel fabulous all the time. And if I'm not, let's find out what's going on. Yeah. You go to the oncologist's office. They give you a, a worksheet every time you go in and ask you questions and then say, do you have any questions? Well, I filled it out every time. He didn't want to answer my questions. He wanted to do a 15 minute in and out. <laughs> and I'm going, I've never had cancer before. I don't know what to expect. He was talking like I already knew I was going you know, what the heck's going on here? My husband and I are sitting there and my husband is very amiable. He didn't like him either. Yeah. We, and we, I, we wanted to know stuff. What is so insane, doctors and nurses, most of them didn't know what it felt like to be sick. That's true. Yeah. And didn't understand that we didn't know what they knew. But there had to be a bridge so yeah. that I could be satisfied what was going on. So I knew what to expect. Oh, and the, the, the one and only time I threw up, one and only time I threw up, I had to take Nulasta, which now they've, I think they've changed the way that they deliver it but I had to take it and I didn't know that what, how it could make you feel. It makes you feel like it got run over by a truck. Is it just an oral medication? You just, it's, well, it's, it, it's no, it was it's an injection. It was an, now, now they can do it, I think with a patch, but at the time you had to get an injection and it was because my white blood count had gone way down. And, oh yes, yes, yes. Okay. I know what you're yeah. talking about now. Yeah. So it was before surgery and so I had, I, I went and got the injection and I wasn't really hungry. And then later that day I said, oh, you know, I really would like a milkshake. Now I don't usually eat anything with milk products, but that's what sounded good to me. And, oh boy, it was, it, I was not happy and I was by myself too. So I also learned, oh, you asked that question before about what I wish I would have known. Always have some kind of phone near you because the two times I didn't I had to crawl over to get to the phone because <gasps> oh. I needed I needed some support and I just it didn't occur to me you know I here's here's me I'm always bouncing around and doing stuff and the two times I needed it uh it wasn't anywhere in the vicinity so if you're yeah. if you're going to be by yourself be sure you've got access to a way to talk because yeah, we have this technology now so yeah, much, e much easier. <laughs> yeah. 
If you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., Judy, what would it be and why? I know that I was fortunate in getting the care that I did and the coverage that I had. So many people go through bankruptcy because of medical expenses. It's stupid. And the biggest issue is the cost of medication. There are programs that some people qualify for. I didn't. Um, the statistics bear this out. Yeah. There, there are more people who don't look like us who die because there's there's a there is a racial bias and there are fewer doctors of color who are oncologists but the cost of of healthcare is stupid and the fact that so how would you improve it i would improve it that we would have universal health care and that everybody can have it and it doesn't matter your income level just to eliminate that crap altogether and that the price of drugs shouldn't be by where you go to buy them it should be this is the cost of a drug and if you need it you can get it i think for that, we'd have to start with eliminating pharmacy benefit managers because I put a lot of the blame on them. <laughs> They're the middleman that needs to be wiped out. It would be so much better. Um, oh, yeah. All right. Are you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire? Sure. All right. Here we go. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Hey, I dated one of the cousins of the Beach Boys, so I am a Beach Boys fan. <laughs> I'm a huge Beach Boys fan. <laughs> what is one word that best describes you? Enthusiastic. And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Over the Rainbow. Oh, the Judy Garland version, like the original? Oh, I yeah. Love that. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of been my song my whole life, but it really came to have a lot more meaning when I had cancer because I could see, I could see all the beautiful stuff happening on the other side and it's come true. Oh. What about the last meal you want to eat? <laughs> well, <laughs> Not a milkshake, I'm guessing. Just not maybe a, not. No, 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 no. I just, I don't like those things. Oh, boy. That, <laughs> hmm. My last meal. Hmm. Well, if it's my last meal, then it doesn't really matter. Um, probably, we were talking about pork belly before. Right. And, <laughs> and still, that was one of my most memorable meals. It was pork belly with uh, field peas, which you don't get here in California. And, oh, I would say, I'm going to add something that doesn't quite go with that. Doesn't matter. I, your last meal. My <laughs> last meal. Uh, there is a bread that I think is so crazy good. It is a Meyer lemon uh, boule 
So it's it's a it's a rustic bread, and it is unbelievable. So it has Meyer lemon in it. It has uh, these salt crystals on top and a really nice toasty crust. Unreal, unreal <laughs> stuff. So yeah, so that would be that would be in there. <laughs> oh, oh, and I'd have a dessert, which I have not had in, I don't know, 40 years, a marjolaine cake uh, with hazelnut and chocolate. And it's crazy. It's so good. <laughs> I love that you knew exactly which dessert now. Like there's no question on the dessert. Yeah. Who are the uh, last people you want to see? I don't think I want to answer that one. I can't, I can't think right now maybe it I would like to say goodbye to my family I think that's that's important I was fortunate that I got to say goodbye to my father and to my mother um and that would have made me very sad if I wouldn't have had that opportunity so I I say my sisters and my nephew and and his family and what will be the last words you speak Enjoy yourself. And aside from Cancer you, what's one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And please tell people how they can get in touch with you. Okay. A resource I'm going to recommend, my very good friend, Deborah Myers at Deborah Myers Wellness. She is an acupressurist and she can work with you remotely. And with her help, I was able to prepare my body for surgery, for chemo, and to recover faster than I would have without her assistance. So that's DebraMyersWellness.com. And to get in touch with me yeah. is really super simple. Uh, it is BookMarketingMentor.com. And because I work with authors and I, I'd love to talk to you about your upcoming book as well. Uh, I am available there and you can book time with me. And if you are an author with a nonfiction book, sign up for, uh, sign up to be on my author spotlight. Nice. So you'll, you'll find that there. Great. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story and your love of bacon. <laughs> I still love bacon. Yep. Yep. Oh boy. Thank you so much for having me. And it's, it's refreshing to, you know, let people know you don't have to hunker down when you have cancer. Yeah. And in fact, if you can show people that you can make it through, that will help them and will help their families make it through it too. Yeah. Thank you so much, Judy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. 
You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers Podcast. Real people, true stories.